When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Relay Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio. For today's podcast episode, I'm going to be talking about Face Off. Now, if anybody is wondering why I'm talking about Face Off, I know this movie came out in 1997, but there was a little news that just dropped the other day about them wanting to possibly reboot or remake Face Off. And I thought this would be an interesting topic to talk about because of the fact that everybody's saying, well, it's perfect the way it is and everything, and it doesn't need to be rebooted, so I decided to go on ahead and watch this movie over again. It's been years since I've seen Face Off, so I wanted to check and see if the dialogue still flowed right, to check and see if there was, like, any cringy dialogue, to see if the camera angles were still up to par to where, where it was back in the 90s, and also the story flow, to see if the story actually flowed in well with the plot on what they were trying to do with Face Off, and to see if this is actually perfectly well executed like we thought it was back in the 90s. And I'm going to talk about that. And I'm also going to break away from that, too. I'm also going to be talking about Alexander Skarsgård and Whoopi Goldberg starring in The Stand, which is also the CBS all-access streaming part of their service. And I wanted to go on ahead and talk about that. And I'm also going to be talking about Paul Feig, who signed on to do The Dark Army, which is also part of Universal's uh, monster universe that they're trying to create. And it hasn't been working out for them. I'm going to be talking about that. I'm also going to be talking about Stephen King once again. Amazon actually got the rights to his new uh, book installment. As a matter of fact, the book just dropped like maybe three days ago. And Amazon actually owns those rights now. So now they're actually going to be making the Institute TV series. So that's going to be pretty interesting. I actually bought the book, but I haven't read the book yet. I'm still trying to finish up on The Shining. So that way I can go on ahead and read Dr. Sleep. So that way I can watch... Dr. Sleep when it comes out in November. So with that being said, let me go on ahead and get into this thing about Face Off. Like I mentioned before, Face Off came out in 1997. It was directed by John Woo. It was actually one of my favorite Nicolas Cage and John Travolta films of 1997. I remember going into the movie theater and just enjoying this movie for what it is. And I was just sucked in with the action, the plot. Matter of fact, whenever you see this movie for the very first time, it opens up to an assassination attempt by Nicolas Cage that actually wants to kill Sean Archer, which is played by John DeVolta. And whenever it opens up, John DeVolta is actually on a carousel ride with his son and Caster Troy, who is played by Nicolas Cage, goes on ahead and tries to assassinate him. But instead of assassinating him, the bullet stops... Uh, winds up going through him and it's and it winds up hitting his son and his son winds up dying so then it goes on to a revenge plot to where you have John DeVolta's character Sean Archer that wants to go ahead and try and take him down 
in the in present day 1997. But there's also another catch too. Caster Troy also dropped a bomb, planted a bomb in the LA Convention Center. So now there's actually a little bit of a cat and mouse game now to where he has so many hours in a day to try and defuse this bomb before it actually goes off. And there's a shootout that actually happens in the airport hangar that leaves Caster unconscious and everything. And now John DeVolta has to try and make his goons actually try and talk. And they're not buying it. They're not even trying or anything like that. Then next thing you know, with the FBI agents who are also friends and colleagues of John DeVolta, which is Sean Archer. And they say, well, you know, there's this new technology, this new thing where you take off somebody's, you can actually take off somebody's face and put it on your face and then you become that person. So that's what he winds up doing. He winds up going undercover. They take off Nicolas Cage's face and put it on his face. And then what winds up happening is this. They uh, they wind up putting him in the prison, the same prison where Caster Troy's brother is, so that way they can go and make him talk to Sean, uh, to Sean Archer, which is also Caster Troy, to try and find out where this bomb is actually at. So then, of course, when he's in jail, which is not even a normal prison cell, this is actually a future, and if you think about it, it has a little bit of a sci-fi feel to it, which is actually pretty cool. And it kind of has like a Super Mario Brothers type thing where you look at when you look at the boots because the whenever uh, the convicts actually get in trouble or whatever they actually stick to the floor with electric magnet magnetized uh, boots and that's that's actually pretty cool that they actually put that into a film because it actually has a little bit of a sci-fi element to it that's actually pretty sweet but anyways you have Castor Troy who winds up waking up they put his face on John Travolta's face onto his face and he becomes Sean Archer so there's that thing. And then not only that, but he's also living in the same house that John DeVolta's at and everything. He's hitting on John DeVolta's wife while he's in prison. There's this whole entire, this whole entire thing where there's layers to these characters to where there's this huge buildup and everything all the way up until the very end. And I just want to say this. Normally when you look at 90s movies, you look at cringeworthy dialogue. There's no cringe-worthy dialogue in this whole entire movie. The movie's perfectly well-paced. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. And not only that, but the action sequences keep you locked in. You're engaged into the characters. You care about these characters. You actually want Charn Archer to come out on top to take down Caster Troy once again. And then you're also wondering, too, how are they going to remove that guy's face uh, and put it back on his face again after all this is done? And there's, like I said, there's a little small thing of mystery element to where how is that going to actually happen? How is that going to actually unfold? And I actually enjoyed seeing this movie over again for the simple fact that the pacing is just perfectly well, it's perfectly well executed, perfectly well balanced. The chemistry between the two characters, between Sean Archer and also Caster Troy is very well written and everything. You can actually tell that they actually hate each other and not only that, but the shootout at at uh, Castor Troy's house is really good, too. The action sequences there with the FBI when they drop in. And then, yes, there might be a little bit of a disconnect whenever you look at the fact that um, whenever the kid is actually wearing his headphones, his waterproof headphones. Yes, it, we actually had one of those back in the 90s where you actually have waterproof headphones and they put it in and he's actually listening to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. 
but they're giving us a look at what the kid is actually seeing through his lenses, which is actually pretty cool. And he's actually trying to forget about everything that's around him, because, and that's why they put the music on. But it's just a, such a uh, dramatic element to that one particular scene, and it adds in a little bit of a uh, flavor to it to where you're wondering what's going to happen with this kid, and is he going to make it out all right because of the stuff that Castro Troy has done in the past. And also, too, you're also having to hide Sean Archer, who's actually Castro Troy from the FBI and everything. But I think, that, like I said, this movie's perfectly well-balanced. The camera angles are really good. There's no cheesy dialogue in this movie, unless you actually count the part where John DeVolta actually goes into the house and everything, and he sees his wife, and he tells Eve, he goes, I hate, Eve, I hate to see you... He goes, I hate to see you leave, but I love to watch you, watch you leave or something like that. I'm totally paraphrasing that one quote, but there's a little bit of a cheesiness to it, but it doesn't take you out of that element, but it makes you think about the fact that John DeVolta, the, uh, the actual Sean Archer hasn't even touched his wife in years. And there's this guy that's actually flirting with her, making moves on her, doing everything that Charn Archer really doesn't do. In his mind, he thinks that he actually does those things, so he's actually acting in a way that he thinks is normal, whenever it's not normal. And then, another thing too, uh, I'm going to have to say this, John Woo, when it comes down to action sequences and everything else, he loves to put birds, he loves to put doves in his movies, and I have to say, the shootout at the church during during the uh, whole entire sequence is just fantastic. I love the action sequences whenever they're whenever you see them uh, against the wall and they're actually face to face against each other. That's actually pretty cool. I, this whole entire movie is just perfectly well balanced and everything. And to be honest with you, it actually doesn't need to be remade at all because, like I said before, the camera angles are good, the plot sequences are good. The story element is good. You're engaged with the characters. It adds the flavor to it. To me, it's perfectly... You don't need to reboot this movie. And I'm afraid if they go in here and reboot this thing, it's not going to be face-off like we know it. It's going to be a different type of plot. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between rebooting something and remaking something. Rebooting something means getting rid of everything that you know about the original concept of the original movie to, to make it somehow different. And that's exactly what they did with the Child's Play remake. Instead of them actually making it to where a serial killer is going into the doll and inserting his soul into the doll, they made him an actual uh, living robot and everything. And the guy who created the robot that's part of the doll is the one who's doing the killing. So they got rid of that whole entire original concept and added their own little flavor to it. And it didn't mesh well at all. As a matter of fact, they didn't do that well at the box office, and I'm thinking that's the same thing that they're going to do here, where they're actually going to change things up to where Sean Archer's not going to be an FBI agent, Castro Troy's not going to be one of those people that is a terrorist that wants to blow up things. They might actually change up who those characters are. They might actually take certain elements from it, but they're going to make it different. Now, if they did a straight-up remake, all we're going to get is the same rehash of what we got in the original uh, face-off movie, but maybe a few little things differently, but not dramatically like you would a reboot. But either way it goes, this movie does not need to be remade. It's perfect It's perfect just the way it is. And I'm not just saying that just to be saying that. I'm just calling what it is. And this movie is well-balanced. It does not need to be remade. 
I don't know what Hollywood is thinking about when they're remaking this movie or rebooting this movie. This movie is perfect. But with that being said, I'm going to go on ahead and talk about Alexander Skarsgård and Whoopi Goldberg joining The Stand, which is part of the CBS All Access streaming app. And I have to say this. I love Alexander Skarsgård because of the fact when I first saw Alexander Skarsgård, the very first time I saw him was in the mo- in this TV show called True Blood. He played Eric Norman, who's actually a who plays a vampire Viking, and he's I have to say this: he's very manipulating. He's very he's a womanizer. He's a drinker, drunkard if you think about it. But he uses that to his advantage as that character, and the way he's gonna play Randall, I can actually picture him as Randall using those certain elements from True Blood. And using it in a way that is actually fitting for the stand. And you couldn't go wrong with having an actor like Alexander Skarsgård in this whole, in this TV show. I'm not going to be able to watch the CBS All Access thing. Because let's just face it. Once you get past maybe three or four different streaming services. You're going to be paying high dollar just like you would for a direct TV bill. So I'm not going to be able to afford to even watch season one of the stand. Or if, even if this is a miniseries, I'm still not going to be able to afford just for that for that streaming part. So I'm going to have to probably wait until DVD to even buy it. But it makes me excited. It makes me hopeful to see more Stephen King adaption stuff, even though it's part of the streaming service. So I'm actually excited about that. And like I said, Alexander Skarsgård is a really good actor. So is his, uh, so is his brother Bill. But Alexander is actually one of my favorite ones out of the brothers. And I'm not gay or anything, but he actually looks better than Bill does. Just for the simple, and I'm just being honest here. He does look better than Bill. I don't see what anybody sees in him or whatever, but he is, he's actually a better actor than what Bill is. But that being said, Alexander Skarsgård is, is going to be really great as Randall Flagg. He's going to bring a lot of layers to that character, a lot of scary elements to that character. He's going to be manipulative. He's going to actually do things to make characters think or do things in a certain way that's actually fitting for those characters. So I can't wait to actually see what he does with that. Then we also have Whoopi Goldberg joining the stand. And I think she's actually going to do a really good job with this thing. I love her as an actress and everything. I love what she's done as an actress and everything. I always like Whoopi Goldberg as an actress. I think them placing her in this role that they're placing her in... Is just fantastic. I cannot wait to see what she does to this thing. This is actually where she's going to actually unite these guys who's in the stand and to make them go after Randall Flagg. So I can't wait to see this thing come to a close once everything else happens. I remember actually watching the 1990s version and everything maybe about 5, maybe 10 years ago. I actually winded up buying the collection of it, and I'm like, you know what, this movie, th- now, this miniseries actually needs to be remade, because of the fact that there's only so much that you can do in the 90s, or anything like that, but with this, you can actually make it to where it's violent, to make it to where you didn't have that Stephen King richness that you actually got from the novels that you didn't get from the 1990s miniseries, and you can add those layers, you can add those flavors to it, you can add anything that you want to it to make it a Stephen King adaption miniseries that's actually good instead of bad. Because let's just face it, The Stand is really outdated whenever you look at the miniseries. So for them to remake this is really good. I like the fact that they also got Marilyn Manson in this movie. And not in this movie, but this miniseries. But still, the casting choices that they have been doing 
and everything is very spot on. I'm excited for it. I cannot wait to be able to watch season one whenever it comes out on DVD. If they're actually going to do a season one or season two or if it's just going to be a straight up miniseries, I'm okay with that. Give me my Stephen King stuff. I'm good to go. So now I'm going to break away from that and I'm going to talk about Dark Army. Now this is actually part of Universal setup. Now, if you remember a couple of years back, they were actually going to do the Dark Universe thing where you have these Universal monsters like the old classic ones like Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, Invisible Man. (coughs) Excuse me. And they were actually going to make these movies. But let's just face it. When you look at Dracula Untold and you look at the numbers for that movie and then you look at the Tom Cruise Mummy movie, those movies tanked. They weren't critically acclaimed. If you like them and everything, you're only one person out of a million person that actually like those movies. I have nothing against people that actually like them, but I'm just calling it what it is. If you're only one person out of a commodity of over a million people, so one voice is not going to make that make them make this movie, make another mummy movie. So if this movie was actually critically acclaimed, everybody loved it, moviegoers loved it, they would actually, and then it made money at the box office, we would actually get another Dracula Untold or another Mummy movie. But considering the fact it didn't, we're not going to get those type of movies. So now they're going with a whole entire different plan, making a Dark Army uh, movie directed by Paul Feig. There's no plot yet or anything like that. This movie's going to be written and directed by him. I'm kind of iffy, to be honest with you. The only movie that he actually made that I actually liked was Bridesmaids. And I didn't care for the Ghostbusters reboot. I thought it was an okay movie, but not the best kind of reboot that you can actually do. Especially whenever you look at the cameos that he tried to force in there. Between, you actually have Bill Murray that was forced in there. The guy who played Winston. They made small cameo appearances and it didn't do anything to amplify the movie. And so I'm kind of hesitant when it comes down to Paul Feig's type of movie. And everything, but I'm just gonna have to check and see how this movie actually does once they actually tell us the plot, and also if once there's a trailer for it, I might be sold. But for right now, I'm hesitant. I really don't know what to expect from Paul Feig. I don't know what to expect when it comes to him directing this movie at all, and I'm not sold on this whole entire universe thing that Universal is trying to create because of the fact that I think that can actually work on something else. Because let's just face it, we actually had a Wolfman movie back in 2010. It didn't do so well at the box office. It was not critically acclaimed either. And I want them to actually make something that's actually pretty decent. But it's been very... They've been missing a lot lately. And shooting blanks out of the butthole for a while now. And I'm just not sold on this whole entire shared universe whenever it's dealing with the old classic monsters. I want... This is what they they sold us on at first. Oh, the mummy is going to be scary. There's not going to be no humor to it. This is going to be a dark and gritty mummy movie than what we saw with the Brandon Fraser thing. Then, when we saw the trailer, it was a complete opposite of what they said and what they were going to sell us on. I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm packing my bags up. I'm not going to go worry about this movie anymore. Sayonara. You guys can go on and have it. That's just the way I looked at it. But anyways, I'm going to break myself away from that subject now. And I'm going to talk about the new Stephen King book, The Institute. Now, this book has only been out for three three or four days now. And Amazon actually got the rights to that book. And they're actually going to make a mini-series out of it. Or they're going to make a short episode, a couple of episodes out of it. 
So here's the thing. This book is actually about it in the about this thing that happens in the middle of the night in a house on a quiet street in suburban Minneapolis. Intruders silently murder Luke Ellis's parents and load him into a black SUV. The operation takes less than two minutes. Luke will wake up at the institute in a room that looks just like his own, except there's no window. And and outside his door, the other door, behind which are other kids with special talents, telekinesis, and telepathy, who got to this place the same way Luke did. Kalisha, Nick, George, Iris, and 10-year-old Avery Dixon, they are all all in front half. Others, Luke learns, graduated to back half like the Roach Motel. Kalisha says, you check in, but you don't check out. So, with that, it actually, to me, it sounds like kind of like a superhero type of thing when you look at, like, the X-Men and stuff like that. Because he, this person's locked inside an institute for people of the special needs or especially talented. And they have these special powers. So, it makes me wonder, does this kid have any special powers? Why do they actually pick him up? Why did the this institute went on ahead and picked this kid up out of in a black SUV. So there's got to be something more to this character than what meets the eye. And what kind of special abilities does he have? Does he have mind reading abilities? What kind of abilities does he actually have? It makes you have a little bit of a mystery element to what this kid is. Because I, I want to actually read this book and actually be surprised by this. Because it's actually kind of different than what we actually get from Stephen King. Yeah, we had telepathic stories before, like Carrie. We actually had some stuff from The Shining and stuff like that. But we never had character interactions where it was close enough to where the other characters had the same type of power or different kind of powers than somebody else did. And it actually adds in a new flavor to it. If you're a comic book fan like I am, <clears throat> it actually makes me more interested into actually reading The Institute because of those reasons and everything. As a matter of fact, we might actually have a little, lot more time to actually read the Institute and everything since it's not going to be released anytime soon. So we can actually take a breather from actually worrying about when this book, when this adaption is actually going to take place, and we can actually finish up this thing. So I think this is actually a smart move with Amazon. They went on ahead and hit it where they got the rights, and they hit it right where it needed to be hit at. And they know they knew right then and there, hey, we need to jump on this book while it's fresh, while it's hot, while it's even before it's even off the shelves and before nobody anybody's even talking about it because this is actually a pretty interesting idea and a good concept. So therefore they want to go and make a TV series out of it, even if it's a limited series. I think it's actually a smart move on Amazon's part because of the fact that they want to do that. And like I said, this is like an X-Men type of feel to it, to where you have these kids with special abilities. And even though this kid's parents died, it makes me, like I said, there's a mystery element to that thing to where you're wondering how in the world did this happen to this kid? What kind of powers does he have? What, uh, what does the Institute want him? Why is this even happening to this kid? So there's that element to the Institute. And that's also what the Institute is about. So, anyways, tell me what you guys think. Did you like my review for Face Off? What do you think about the Stephen King news? The stand, it, the stand. I like to know. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna be putting in the descriptions like I normally do, and I'm in the description. You can actually send me a voicemail message about the news that I actually broke 
this week and also too what you guys think of what I what I said about some of the movie new related stuff and also the review I did for Face Off. So tomorrow I might end up seeing that new Jennifer Lopez strip, uh, stripper movie Hustler. No, like I said before, this is not one of those shows. The, this movie, one of the movies that where you actually have to hide your parents' porno mag or anything like that. It's not that kind of hustler. This is actually just a spot of strippers who are hustlers that, and it's based on a true story that there's a little bit of crime element to it. And I'm kind of excited to actually want to check this out. So anyways, that's what I'm probably going to be reviewing for tomorrow. But anyways, tell me what you guys think think of this. And until next time, bye-bye.